TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the morning briefing for Monday, January 29th, 2018. Super producer JQ's here, sitting in the driver's seat for just a little while because host Eric Dane got caught in some traffic. And if you've ever been to the nation's capital, Washington, D.C., where the Connecting Bet studio is, you know how bad traffic can get. So today we have a great show for you guys. We're going to have Mark Rockefeller, CEO of Street Shares, is going to be on telling us all the cool things they got going on over there. And also, it's Monday, so we'll we'll be replaying one of our nifty interviews with some of our lovely, lovely BSOs. So make sure you stick around. And hey, hey, make sure you also follow us on social media. We are at Connecting Vets on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. Follow us to make sure you get the number one message of all the things that are going on. You'll be known. You'll be able to know first off the bat exactly when things pop off because we're that awesome. You know, speaking of social media, I don't. we don't like to toot our own horn here too much at ConnectingVets.com, but I do have to say, at least for Facebook, we are blowing up. Because whenever I uh, log on to Facebook, I'll log on and I'll see, wow, I have 30 notifications. Jeez, I must be popular. And then I check and it's all connecting vets. And most, some of those stories have nothing to do with me. And I feel all depressed because I feel like no one loves me. Aww. But anyway, (laughs) let's see what's going on in the world of veteran news. Unfortunately, we have to start off with some bad news. I've always been a comic reader. Like, I'm the kind of guy that when the newspaper comes, I immediately go to the comics. I always love, you know, Baby Blues, Dilberts, all the classics. But one of the ones I loved since I was a little, little kid, like probably seven years old and started reading comics, was Beetle Bailey. And especially now, having been in the military, I get the military satire a little bit better. But unfortunately, uh, Mort Walker, the World War II veteran who wrote Beetle Bailey, passed away on Saturday. He was 94 years old. And his son, Greg Walker, said his father's advanced age was the cause of death. Now, if you didn't know, Walker began publishing cartoons when he was 11 years old. And has had more than a dozen comic strips in his lifetime. But he found most success uh, drawing Beetle Bailey, his hot-tempered sergeant, and the rest of the gang at the fictional, what was it called? Uh, let me look up here. Camp Swampy. He wrote this comic for nearly 70 years. Can you believe that? 70 years. I mean, when you get up into your 80s, you're not supposed to do anything anymore. You're supposed to relax and enjoy your retirement. But this guy kept going all the way to the end. And Mort, we love you. We miss you. And I'm going to miss the comics. That's just me, though. Uh, Some better news. Well, maybe not better news. You'll have to decide for yourself. You know, people always talk about 
veterans talk about what they would do if we another war kicked off. And I know a lot of them like to say, oh, I would re-enlist in a heartbeat because I want to be on the front lines with my brothers and sisters. And I agree with that, but I couldn't do that because, number one, I was medically forced out, so I can't come back in. But number two, another reason I wouldn't want to come back in is I love my beard. Yes, my facial hair. I'm growing my beard out full mountain man. It's about, uh, I'd say about an inch long right now. But it's only been growing for a few months because if you remember, we had uh, no shape. We had vet beard in uh, November. So I had to cut it back then. It's growing back out nice and full now. I think it's looking good. But according to the sergeant major of the army, he is not a fan of facial hair. You remember back in 2017, the army... Uh, ruled that Sikh soldiers, the Sikh faith, can have facial hair and head coverings uh, because of their religious beliefs. And they did the, it was, uh, the ongoing study was to affect how facial hair and head coverings would affect the integrity of gas masks uh, designed to protect troops from like chemical attacks and stuff. But uh, if it was up to Command Sergeant Major John Troxwell, there would be no beards at all. He says, sometimes, obviously, there is a right time and a right place for relaxed grooming standards. But if you ask me my opinion, in some cases, people look at beards like it's a tangible gimmick. He says, okay, I feel good about myself because I have a beard or because it's part of pop culture having this beard. Now, I understand that, but also it, the problem with being in the military is everyone's the same. Is the, the, well, the uniformity in the military is not the problem. The issue is some people like to have some form of individuality. And in the military right now, that's mustaches. It's all you can have. And <laughs> I don't know if you've seen a, a military mustache, but according to grooming standards, where it has to be off the lip and it can't go past the corners of the mouth, they don't look good. You have a couple looks, and uh, and I can't name them, uh, the nicknames I have for them. <laughs> but uh, they just don't look good because the Army's restrictive grooming standards. And some people want to grow that beard out just not like a big mountain man beard like I'm growing out. Some people just want to have a little quarter inch, you know, like when you have a shaving profile or a shaving chit, as they call it in the Navy and Marine Corps. And you can grow it out like a quarter inch. Just because something to make you feel good about yourself, something to make you that small sense of individuality in the sea of uniformity, I don't see how that's a bad thing. But the military is about standards and discipline, he says, uh, Chalkswell says, and its members are the ethical standard bearers globally for everything that is right about our country. Now, how does that translate to beards? I don't know. But let's continue on and see what he says. Relaxing standards takes away from that, he says. He also added, now all my retired buddies and special operator buddies will probably pepper my ribcage for saying something like that. Well, I'm going to pepper your ribcage, too. Because we all remember, like, you've seen pictures of the Civil War and the Revolutionary War and all the epic facial hair they had going on. Like, they had mutton chops, they had goatees, they had the big ZZ Top beards, you know, the, the Texas goatee that goes all the way down to your chest. Why can't we have that anymore? Well, okay, I understand that. We can't go full, full facial hair. But what's the problem with having a short little beard? I don't know. Now, on the other side of this, uh Sergeant Major the uh hang on. Uh yeah, uh another Sergeant Major of the Army, Dan Daly, has said he would consider supporting the authorization of beards as long as they fell into a prescribed grooming standard and could be revoked in an environment with a high risk of chemical attack. 
and I got to admit, I got something wrong. Major Troxwell is not the uh, Sergeant Major of the Army. He is the Senior Enlisted Advisor to the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. And Sergeant Major of the Army, Dan Daly, is the Sergeant Major of the Army. It's Monday, folks. Cut me some slack, Jack. <laughs> Daly said to the Army Times in 2017, I'm not opposed to having a beard. I've socialized with I've socialized this with several people, including uh, the Army Chief of Staff, General Mar Mark Milley. How do we do that to maintain standards? I think we have to continue that study. Troxwell, however, suggests finding other ways to express oneself. He says, in some cases, I think somebody wants to wear a beard because they'll feel good about themselves if they had a beard. I think if you look internally as a soldier, sailor, airman, marine, and coast guardsman and find that inner self to feel good about yourself. Personally, he added, <laughs> this is good. Personally, he added, he's a much bigger fan of tattoos. I will tell you, some of the most elite warfighters, and I've seen this over 16 years of combat, have sleeve tattoos, and I don't think that's a bad thing. Tattoos are a big part of military culture. I have one myself, and I have one on my right arm, my upper bicep, and I want to, my OCD is kicked in so many times, I need to get something on the other arm to sort of balance it out, but I can never decide what I want to get. Like, the one on my right arm signifies everything that's important to me, so it feels like another tattoo with that would be a little redundant, but that's neither here nor there. Speaking of tattoos... That's what we call in the industry a transition. See, I use the tattoo to, trans to transfer into another story about tattoos. Gosh, I'm so professional. Uh, a school library in Eastern Illinois University is hosting an exhibit featuring military veterans' tattoos. Now, the coolest tattoo I ever saw was from my old senior drill sergeant, uh, Sergeant First Class Joe Willie. He has an entire sleeve of his right arm, and all it is is Sony, uh, is Sony PlayStation video game characters. Like he's got uh, Crash Bandicoot, he's got uh, a character from Final Fantasy VII, he's got Jack and Daxter, and I thought it looked really cool. And it goes all the way from his shoulder down to his uh, his uh, wrist. Anyway, the designate the Designs of Duty exhibit is free and runs through May 11th. It tells stories of seven Illinois veterans from Charleston, Newman, Nokomi, Olney, Shelbyville, and Towanda. I'm sure if you live in Illinois, you know where those places are. <laughs> they served over a 45-year period in Asia and Europe. The Effingham Daily News reports that the exhibit displays the, mil the veterans' military tattoos and details the meanings behind them. Veteran Shane Wright of Shelbyville is in the exhibit. He has a tattoo of a skeleton in combat attire on his arm. The 28-year-old returned from, returned from Afghanistan eight years ago and says the tattoos are a way to write down my story without forgetting it. He is now a member of the Eastern Illinois University Police. That's really cool. You know, we always talk about people highlighting veterans and doing good things for veterans. This is really cool to show off their tattoos because... Like Sergeant Major Troxwell, tattoos are a big part of military culture because you use them for different things. Like this uh, veteran Shane Wright said, he used it to remember his time in, Af in Afghanistan. Uh, my dear friend, uh, JC, guy I served with for the longest time. We went to basic training together. We were stationed at Fort Riley together, deployment from there to Iraq. We went to Fort Hood together, deployed from Iraq there. And he's basically my brother from another mother, you know. And uh, he has a tattoo on his, I believe, his left forearm that is a pair of dog tags from a soldier he lost 
during uh, our second deployment, and I thought that's really cool. And that's one of the ways people use tattoos to remember things. Uh, we got another story talking about uh, the tragedies of the Fitzgerald and the USS John S. McCain, the ships that were involved in deadly collisions last year. Secrecy and uncertainty surrounds Navy discipline for fatal ship collisions. More than five months after 17 sailors were crushed and drowned aboard the destroyers Fitzgerald and John S. McCain, the Navy is declining to make public the number and nature of disciplinary actions taken against crew members. Now, we already know that the, that, what is it, uh, five officers and a chief are, are undergoing criminal charges, but this is talking about NJP, non-judicial punishment, which if you're an army brat like me, you'll know that's uh, like Article 15, Article 32, stuff like that. Uh, I lost my place here. Uh, at the same time, uncertainty exists regarding the status of past disciplinary actions. Navy officials confirmed this week that the service is reviewing an unknown number of disciplinary measures that were meted out last year. That review is both considering all previous actions and reviewing cases in which no action was taken to ensure fairness, consistency, and the appropriate accountability, said Navy spokesman Lieutenant Commander Daniel Day. Day also cited the ongoing review as a reason for not providing the current tally of sailors who have received NJP in the connection to the collisions. That makes sense. It's an ongoing investigation. You don't really want to... Put all the names out there, air all your dirty laundry until you know for the facts. Plus, I mean, it's kind of weird because the sailors on duty, you like to think that they were the most, they were the most responsible because they didn't see the ship. They weren't paying attention to radar or sonar or whatever, whatever it is you army pe- or you navy people use to see other ships or the lookouts or anything like that. So, but we know that the criminal charges are being filed against the commanders, which I understand on the one hand, because like I said, people died. There has to be accountability for this. You can't sweep this under the rug under the, uh, the good old boy system. But if they're open and honest about the criminal charges against the officers and that chief, why the secrecy about the NJP? I mean, like I said earlier, you don't want to air dirty laundry, but at the same time, People want to know this stuff. We want to know that things are being done, that the people, we know that the commanders, the people who are overall responsible, we know what's happening to them, but the people who were directly responsible, the sailors, what's going to happen to them? Like, is anyone going to get kicked out of the Navy or are they just going to get, you know, reduced in rank and get some 45 days restriction? We don't know. And the Navy is not telling us, which is a problem. Officials also declined to say which prior disciplinary actions are being reconsidered and why. Now, since those historic mishaps, Navy leadership has pushed accountability as the order of the day. Commanders at all levels of the surface fleet have been relieved of command. The Navy announced this month that it will be seeking criminal charges against five officers and one chief. But the number of sailors who have faced administrative discipline remains unclear. The official silence represents an about-face from the initial response last year. On August 17th, the Navy's second-in-command, Admiral Bill Moran, announced that the Navy planned to take up a dozen Fitzgerald soldiers, sailors on NJP. But the Navy's entire process 
of, for dealing with the Fitzgerald's aftermath will be upended a few days later when John S. McCain suffered a similar collision on August 21st. So what we have here is a bit of a double standard. Like I said, they're not showing the common soldiers, but they're showing the commanders, in which the commanders, well, you have to understand, yeah, okay, it may be true that their lax training standards or relaxed uh, duty standards may have led to the soldiers, the sailor, I keep saying soldiers, I'm sorry. I'm apologizing to Eric Dane, who's probably listening in his car and getting mad at me every time I say soldier instead of sailor. Eric, I'm sorry. Just relax. Woo-saw. <laughs> Anyway, that's true that the commanders may be overall responsible, but the people who are directly responsible, we want to know what happened to them too. Because that's they were the ones at the helm of the ship. Not the commander, not the, you know, chief uh NCO on the ship, the sailor, the, you know, the MC2, or well, no, MC is mass communication, but the, the petty officer second classes and third classes and first classes, they were the ones that are probably at the helm of the ship. What's going to happen to them? Whatever the reason, failing to release even basic numbers of sailors who have received NJP speaks to a complete lack of transparency, says Captain Michael Young, a surface warfare officer and Naval War College professor. He noted that he spoke for himself and not the Navy. Like court-martial, NJP troops charges troops with violations of the Uniform Code of Military Justice, or UCMJ, and can end a service member's military career. Yet, unlike courts-martial, NJP proceedings occur largely out of the public eye, and critics say the process offers less rights for the accused. Young says, I fear for those sailors. They have virtually no rights. Uh... Hey, look who just walked in the studio. Nice of you to join us, Eric. I suppose it is. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, we've been sitting here. <laughs> they've been stuck with me listening to me prattle on for, for 20 minutes. 22 minutes. minutes. I know. Goodness. How do how do they manage? Yeah, you know, it's one of those things where when it rains it pours. So when you wake up and you look over and you're like, "Huh, my little plug-in alarm clock is blinking. That's not a good sign. <laughs> wonder what time it actually is. And then you look and you go, oh, it's about half an hour after I normally wake up or 45 minutes after I normally wake up. And then you go, all right, well, let's get going and get down there. Should be fine. Should be here there on time for the show to start. And not so much because people don't know how to drive. And there are a lot of them out there. So the roads were a mess and I sat in traffic. I've been driving for the last, oh, geez, I don't know hour and 30 minutes or something like that to get down here, which is, it's amazing what a, what a difference leaving a half an hour later than you normally do can make, but you know, whatever. Yeah. Like I told the people earlier, if you've ever visited the nation's capital, you know how bad traffic and, can and get. And it's, it's, here's the thing though. It's not as bad as in some other places. Having worked in New York city oh, on, a, Lord. on a normal day, it would take me an hour and a half to get into work. So it's in the same distance, almost the exact same distance, actually. The distance I lived from uh, 1010 Winds, where I worked in uh, Midtown, well, I guess it's downtown Manhattan, Soho, it was about 29, 30 miles, something like that. And I live about 30 miles from our studios here. It, it's it's fascinating that it, I can get here, even during rush hour, like like what I just dealt with, an hour and a half. Rush hour in New York, you're talking like three, four hours. 
said something like that. So what have you been talking about so far? Well, we talked about a couple things. We talked about uh, uh, beards for troops. We talked about <laughs> a school library exhibit for uh, tat- military tattoos. Yeah, really cool. What's the beard thing? The beard thing is that uh, one of the senior enlisted advisor to the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staffs yeah. says if it was up to him, there would be no facial hair whatsoever. Oh, wow. But despite the fact that Sergeant Major of the Army, Dan Daly, has said he's not opposed to people having a beard and yeah. he's going to continue to look into it. Here's the thing. Um, if you say no facial hair whatsoever, then what are those people with the lifer mustache going to do? I have no that's, idea. That's a big part of their personality. I, I mean, know. They, if you don't know what the lifer stash is, it's basically a rectangle, a direct rectangle of hair just above your lip. Think of a shipwreck from the old G.I. Joe cartoons. <laughs> he had the lifer mustache. It was a very, in the Navy, it was a very specific class of people that had it. And it typically also corresponded with your rank. You had to be an E5 or above to have the lifer mustache. And if you were... An E4 below and you had it, people looked at you weird. You were just thought of as uh, like, what's wrong with that guy? Yeah, what's you're you, you're such a boot trying to uh, uh, emulate your uh, yeah, like you're your already, sergeant. You've already decided that this is what you're going to do for the rest <laughs> of your okay. Uh, and the beard thing, being over in Afghanistan with a a very multinational region, region north, the Germans they were allowed to have beards. Everybody was allowed to have beards except for us, essentially. And I'll tell you this, it didn't prevent them from doing their jobs, funny enough. So, you know, I say, yeah, go ahead and let people have it. You have a grooming standard like you do for hair and everything else. But, yeah, why not? Yeah, why not have, like, if you have a shaving profile or as you would call it a shaving shit. Uh, you can, oh, sh- yeah. You, what did you guys call them? Profiles? Yeah, profiles. Yeah, the shaving chit. No shave chit is what we called them. Well, oh, yeah. Well, yeah. But basically what it means is you can grow out. To, I think it's like to a quarter of an inch, something like that. Yeah. It's mainly. It was mainly given to African-American soldiers who suffered bad uh, razor, razor burn. burn. Yeah, get the bumps and everything. And that was, uh, I saw a lot of, like, there were, well, how many? There were probably like two or three guys in my boot camp division who had them. Then afterwards, I didn't see it very often. You'd see it every once in a while, but they kind of cracked down on that after a while. And the 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 theory that they always used was that it was because of gas masks. Mm-hmm. That you couldn't get a good seal uh, if you had any facial hair. Is that true? I don't know. It's actually, according to the story, there's an ongoing story, uh, ongoing study from 2017 on about how head coverings and facial hair affect the integrity of gas masks. This is because in 2017, they allowed Sikh soldiers to have facial hair and head coverings. Right. So if they can do it for religious reasons and it's they're still able to wear the gas mask, well then wh- how come I can't have a beard? Yeah, I can. I can put to some some uh, verses in Leviticus that say I'm not supposed to shave. Wow. Why can't I do that? Hey, go for it. Yeah, <laughs> you know you're out of the army now, so it's kind of <laughs> I a can moot do whatever point, I want. But <laughs> yeah, for those who are in, I always I hated that, and I remember in uh, in Iceland there was a guy. I guess he was a second class, and I was a, a young seaman at the time. Came in and thought I hadn't shaved that day and decided he was going to take his ID card and run it up my face. And I said to him, if that thing touches my face, that's the last thing you're going to remember about today. Yeah. And that was, I got in trouble for that, for threatening a senior, blah, 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 whatever. But uh, yeah, it's one of those things where it's like, and he was right, I hadn't shaved that day. I was out partying the night before. Why would I shave in the morning? I needed to get up and get in on time. Um, yeah, it, it's it's an interesting one and one that a lot of people would uh, 
like to see happen, and I think a lot of people would not like to see happen. Oh, they'll just look dirty. Beards are ugly looking, and they're this and they're that. Just put a grooming standard in. Have regulations on it like you do on every other thing. Haircuts, we have regulations. That's why you don't see guys walking around with two-foot-long hair hanging down to their butts. Ladies either, you know? It's one yeah. of those things. That's why you've I've seen Sergeant Majors actually uh, take calipers, like me, like uh, rulers, to and, people to, to measure, measure their, their hair. hair. <laughs> I, could, I could see a, a couple of the Sergeant Majors I've served with over my time having a, a ruler and putting it on your face saying, oh, that beard's a little, that's eighth of an inch too long. Of course, because that eighth of an inch could be the difference between life and death, at least in their <laughs> mind. What if, what if, what if? You were in a situation where you were hiding behind a wall and that wall went up to exactly this height and your hair was one-eighth of an inch past it. The enemy would see you, son, and then what? You poor son of a gun, you're dead. (laughs) That's what's happening there. All right, well, we've got our segment two coming up and uh, we are going to continue talking, Jake and I, so you're going to get to hear some of that stuff. Then later on in the show, we're going to have a special guest live in studio, Mr. Mark Rockefeller. There's some new movement with street shares. We talked to him Oh, geez, five months ago or so about street shares. Well, they're moving into a new phase, and we're going to talk to Mark about that, which is going to be pretty exciting. Jake, are you an investor at all? No, I'm not. I know I need to, but I'm not. I am, and it's a, it's a good time to be an investor. You know, there are uh, some good things happening within the stock market. Of course, street shares, not necessarily about the market, but really more about investing in our fellow veterans. Uh, there's a lot of interesting stuff taking place within the veteran community, of course, and uh, Street Chairs is, is working to bring that to the forefront and to help fund a lot of it. So really looking forward to talking to Mark later on in the show. Yep, I'm looking forward to it, too. You're listening to The Morning Briefing for Monday, January 29th, 2018. Eric Dame is the host. I'm Jake Hughes, producer, and we <laughs> be right back with more of us. Stick around. Helping military veterans stay connected. We make it easy. We are CBS Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting vets every day. Online and all over social media. Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter at ConnectingVets. I feel better. I'm sitting in the right chair now. Sitting in that chair, Jake, just didn't didn't feel right to me. Yeah, this is more natural. This is this is the, the natural order of things. <laughs> the natural order of things here on the morning briefing. It is Monday, January 29th, 2018. I'm your host, Eric Dame. Jake Hughes is uh, well, he was your host for the first 22 minutes plus, and now he's back into the producer chair. Still to come on the show. Mark Rockefeller of Street Shares will join us live in studio to talk about the latest and greatest going on with Street Shares. And of course, if you want to know about the latest and greatest in the veteran community, you want to go to ConnectingVets.com. That's our website. And we are Connecting Vets every day, our team of veterans. Each and every member of our team is either a veteran themselves or very closely connected to the veteran community, like through marriage. As an example, there's a lot of interesting stuff going on in the world of veterans, and we're covering it all on the website and covering, uh, you know, different different uh, angles of it. I mean, I wrote an op-ed about being done with the NFL. I did not like the fact, as we've talked about here on the show, that the NFL said no to AmVets ad and said, like, well, we're not a political organization. All right, well, then why are your players kneeling during the game? It seems 
uh, a little bit uh, a, a little bit of a, a hypocrisy going on there. Also, I remember last year at the Super Bowl, the lumber liquidators ad. Did you check that one out last year at the no, Super what Bowl? No, happened. Uh, so the lumber liquidators ad was viewed by a lot of people as being um, supportive of illegal immigration and saying like, well, you know, these people are a great part of our country. They're breaking the law is how a lot of people looked at that. So they're like, "Eh, okay, would you run this ad talking about how great drunk drivers are or anybody else who breaks any other law? Why is this law specifically okay to break? You know, that that was fine during the Super Bowl. I believe it was last year. Uh, But AMVETS asking people to please stand for the national anthem. Again, not demanding it, not working towards legislation to make that happen, just asking about it. Uh, it set a lot of people off. So I wrote my op-ed, and then our own Jonathan Copanger wrote his about how protesting is part of being an American. Now, in mine, I don't say you shouldn't protest. I say I don't like inequality of any type, and I'm willing to fight for people's right to protest I'm also willing to fight for the people who will say, like, I don't agree with how these people are protesting. It doesn't even have anything to do with the content of the protest. It's how you go about it. And again, uh, in my eyes, there are some symbols that are agreed upon that you just don't mess with. Gravestones, wedding rings, the American flag, those things, they're pretty important to the majority of people, to society in general. I would say, and we've agreed that you're to treat them in a very specific way. And when people don't do that, does it bring attention to their issue? Yeah. Is it the right kind of attention? I don't think so. It's like the people who blocked the roads and made me Uh. late to get into work in New York City uh, at, I just mentioned, I've mentioned it twice now in the show. I worked in a radio station in New York City, 1010 Wins, the number one news radio station in the nation. Well, thanks and, for plugging them on our radio station. Hey, they're part of the same company, Entercom, baby. That's yeah. part of the Entercom family, so we're allowed to plug them. We can talk about <laughs> all the good people up there. Mr. Lee Harris is uh, probably live on the air right now. Well, no, he's uh, top of the hour, so bottom half of the hour will be uh, Bridget Quinn is up there uh, doing her thing. But the the protesters who made me late to work one day and got me, uh, you know, they people at work understood, but there are some jobs where they don't care why you're late. They just know that you're late. Uh, I was not a fan of those protesters, whatever there. I believe they were uh, protesting against the president. It's like, oh, okay, so you want people to agree with you, and you're to do so, you're going to make them late for work, perhaps make ambulances uh, d- delayed in getting to a hospital. Again, so I think, uh, yeah, protesting absolutely is part of being an American. Jonathan that takes that very seriously, and you can read his op-ed and mine all at ConnectingVets.com. Now, in sticking with that story, we have a very interesting uh, thing taking place in the veteran sub-community, Jake. Are you familiar with the Twitter account, I Am The War X? No. Though I, I, well, yes. I first became aware of them because I know they were critical of AMBETS during the whole NFL skedaddle. Kind of, but really more critical of the public affairs guy at AMVETS who went into a PAO Facebook group to ask for contacts with Fox News, um, which some people then, I mean, anyone who jumps to conclusions, oh, especially when it is, uh, I think I hear a, uh, I don't know if that's going out over the air or not. I can't hear it, so it may just be in the background. Hold on. Yeah, it is going out over the air. 
Okay, so that's, uh, I believe, a test of the emergency broadcast system. I, I don't know. I just saw one of our engineers out there. He didn't look too frazzled. So um, we are here in the studios. Everything seems to be okay where we are. I haven't heard anything, so uh, we'll have to uh, double-check on that as soon as we can. But um, we are in the veteran community, of course, not always a monolith. There are certain things that we disagree on. There are some people who saw the uh, screen cap from the – uh, public affairs guy for AMVETS and said, oh, this is proof that AMVETS planned to do this ahead of time, that they were planning to get on Fox News and blah, 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 blah. Because Fox News, of course, is the only conservative news station. Right. How many, how many that lean the other way? Uh, quite a bunch. You got CNN, you got MSNBC, you've got the actual network newscast like CBS. I mean, we can go down the list. It's all uh, very interesting. So I am the war axe on, on this issue. Didn't come down hard on AMVETS. Said like, listen, I don't think AMVETS are the bad guys here. I think it was one of the tweets saying, uh, I don't believe AMVETS intentionally did this. I don't believe that they are the bad guys. I do believe that it's hilarious that their public affairs person doesn't even have a contact at, at one of the main news uh, outlets in the country. Of course, the people jumping to conclusions like, oh, this is proof that they intended to do that. No, it's him saying, hey, we are going to publicize this and we think that uh, Fox News would be interested in it. And they were right, as were many other people. In fact, I think this morning, Joe Chinelli, executive director of AMVETS, uh, my former defense information school classmate is going to be on uh, the Today Show with Megan Kelly today. So, uh, you know, there, there's been a lot of interest in this. But there were, and I, and I got some of this on Twitter and some of it uh, on my, my op-ed where it was posted on Facebook. There were a subsection of veterans, and, and a relatively small one, honestly, if we look at the comments uh, based it on based on those comments, who said, you know, who were you to tell people how to protest? I'm not telling people how to protest <laughs> is how I would respond to them. Be like, listen, this is my opinion. I am allowed to have one. That's where this discussion is right now. Who's allowed to have an opinion? Who's not? The answer is everyone's allowed to have an opinion, mm -hmm. no matter whether you like it or not. They're all allowed to have it. Um, one person who, uh, who said that on Instagram there was a screen cap of this person saying that to AMVETS, basically, on Instagram that was tweeted by the War Axe. Now, that screen cap is not the War Axe because the War Axe doesn't have I am the War Axe is the uh, Twitter account if you want to go check it out. I am the War Axe does not have an Instagram account, at least not that I'm aware of. So the screen cap was taken, and it's by someone who... Uh, many people said was on their, quote, short list for who is the War Axe. And that just kind of matched up. The War Axe tweeted it out. I am the War Axe says, no, 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 no. That person submitted a screen cap to me. Uh, that's not, I am not this person. You know, the, the I am the War Axe is an anonymous account, which has its positives and negatives, I suppose. I mean, do you believe when someone who is, uh, claiming veteran status and, and has been, I believe, interviewed now by like Task and Purpose as well as writing things on Task and Purpose. Do you believe that someone uh, who, who is claiming veteran status and who talks about veterans' issues should do so anonymously? Should they put their name on it? I mean, how do you look at that? Well, they should be able to do it anonymously, I think, because as long as, but 
it comes to a point when people question, like, how do I know you're really a veteran? Then he should be able to prove it. Like, with a, yeah. you could show a DD-214 with the name crossed <laughs> off or something like that. Yeah, you could. Although, if you do that, like, if if people looked at my DD-214, if someone got a hold of my DD-214 and was able to look at the th- they'd be able to figure out who I was, even if my name was crossed out. Eventually. Maybe not right away. So, here's the thing. I'm driving back. I was in Connecticut for uh, the funeral of my beloved Aunt Harriet the mother of a veteran, my my cousin Tommy, who uh, served as a United States Army Ranger. His mother passed away after a year-long battle with uh, a very rare form of cancer. That was uh, It was a very rough weekend for me. And on the drive back uh, Saturday, my phone starts bing, 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 and I'm, I'm driving, so I can't really look at it. We get to our first stop, and I look and go like, uh, okay. So I started getting tips from various people on who – is the War X because they're all sending me the same thing. The War X tweeted out this screen cap of someone's personal, clearly they're from that taken by their personal Instagram page, I guess is the way uh, that I'll put it. And I'm not going to go into who it is here because uh, if it is this person, then uh, you know, that's, that's a discussion for another day. And if it's not, then why put uh, more focus on it? Uh, there is of course, I am the War Axe is saying I am not this person. There are other people saying they know who the War Axe is and it's not that person. It's a very, uh, it's an interesting little thing. Now, I am the War Axe tends to be critical of the military and critical of the veteran community, although tends to also do it in uh, typically a fairly humorous way, uh, trying to not always, sometimes it's just like, Oh, this is kind of a, just kind of a nasty way of putting things. But there is typically an attempt to, uh, to have some levity in there. Um, but I think the way that some people looked at it and some of the people who sent me some of these tips were saying like, you know what, this guy's constantly hammering veterans. He, if, if you're going to do that, you should put your name on it. Essentially, you should be the person who's if you're willing to stand up and take a stand and make all these statements on these issues. Why aren't you willing to do so, uh, you know, with your own picture there instead of Dr. Seuss's the Lorax with a, a, a hat on? I don't know. Looks like a Make America Great Again hat. I don't know if it is or not. I don't know what the deal is with that. But um, there's a, it's an interesting thing, and there's a lot of a lot of talk going on now. You know, the War Axe is claiming that it's AMVETS behind it. That AMVETS is what? Lo- yeah, that AMVETS is looking to dox the War Axe. Now here, there's another thing. There's a term that I, in this case I don't think is being used properly. All that the the tipsters that messaged me and all that stuff have been saying is who it is, just the name. They're not giving out like the personal address or anything like that, which is what doxing typically is. Right. Like I'm going to give out where you live, who your family is, all that stuff. That's not happening. So I don't know if doxing is technically uh, the right term there, as far as you know, is how I know doxing essentially uh, to live and breathe. It's a it's a horrible thing that we've seen in uh, you know more internet savvy cultures, people who are able to find information on people. This one just saying, hey, this is who we think it is. And there have been a lot of people doing that, some of which are affiliated with AMVETS. So I guess that's why I am the War Axe is saying that, uh, that, that, that AMVETS is trying to dox them, that this national organization is trying to dox whoever I am the War Axe is. Um, it's, it's interesting. It's very interesting stuff. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it. I'm willing to put, I mean, every statement I make, I'm willing to put 
absolutely put my name on it. You know, yeah. I don't hide my thoughts like with this flag thing. And I've gotten some uh, some nasty messages. I'm like, people found me on Facebook to send me nasty messages. Uh, they've tweeted at me. They've sent me direct messages on Twitter. Uh, I was called a white supremacist by one guy. That was uh, particularly lovely. That's like, oh. that's the sign of making it when people start calling you a white supremacist. Yeah, you know, at this point, you you start to wonder about. Uh, what people think about you. Here's the good thing about me, Jake. Uh, as you know, I don't particularly care what anybody <laughs> thinks about me. So you can go ahead and you can call me whatever you want. I know what I am and who I am and what I'm doing. So, uh, you know, it's a uh, it, it's a very fascinating time right now. And this AMVETS ad being rejected has opened up, uh, I think, some 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 wounds in the veteran community where a lot of people, there are a lot of people who like I am the war X. I mean, let's look at I am the war X's Twitter following. Cause I don't, I don't want to get it wrong. I don't want to disparage or, uh, or what, what's the opposite of disparage parage. Parage, yeah. Yeah, yeah why not? I don't want to parage. <laughs> I am the war axes. Uh, Sounds right to me. So this is someone with, you know, 6,437 followers and, and mostly within the veteran community, not just the veteran community, but also more specifically those working within the the veteran legislative landscape. Uh, it, it's very, I don't want to say DC centric, but there's certainly a lot of people in DC, a lot of media types who uh, who follow I am the War X as well. Um, you know, and and there's a lot of uh, a lot of interesting stuff on there. Here's uh, Nadine. Vanderveld, who is a writer and music producer and showrunner, uh, who also has, and I've noticed this as well, hashtag resistance in the Twitter ah, profile. Mm-hmm. Ambets HQ, please do not dox the war axe. The war axe brings the little whimsy into our Twitter sphere like the tooth fairy or Santa Claus. If you dox the war axe, then he won't be real anymore. Right now, the world is running low on whimsy. Let us believe in the war axe. Whimsy? No, look, look here. <laughs> hang on. Hang on just a second. There's plenty okay. of whimsy in my life, but I have a five-year-old. He brings that all to me. I know. I watch cartoons, so I got plenty of whimsy. But anyway, um, the, uh, the you said he's sometimes critical of the, of the veteran community. Now, does that mean like calling out, as we've been told before, vet flakes? Or does that mean like no. just... I would say disparaging if, veterans as general. No, no, no. Uh, more like the. Uh, so I would say that I am the war axe tends to fall more on the liberal side of things. If you were to have to pick a side um, and not. So this is not like, a, you know, John Burke or somebody like that. This is this is not that deal. Um, there's now a hashtag going around. We are all war axe. All the people saying like, oh, you know, we don't want the war axe to be uh, unmasked. You know, I don't honestly, I don't care one way or the other all that much. Um, I do, I do kind of believe though that if you're willing to make statements on things, you should be willing to do so with your face, your name. Otherwise, how can you be held accountable? I mean, there, there really is no way for you to be held accountable if you're, if you're doing it anonymously. So I, you know, I understand anonymity. I understand things like that, but. Uh, I also, again, I just believe that if you are willing to to say something, you should be willing to stand up there and put put it under yeah. you. That, been- that is you saying it, not a, a character that you've created. Now, some people might say that you know the the reason that uh, that you wouldn't do so, you know, might affect your job or something like that. Well, if you're saying things that would affect your job, then you know, th- yeah, I, I I would think you'd want to be anonymous, but. That's on you. That's not on anybody else. If someone finds out who you are and reveals that, 
whose fault is that? Yeah, Especially if if this turns out to be the case, that this screen cap, that that is who I am, the war axe, is, whose fault is it? You know, I mean, this is this is very simple stuff. If, if that's who I am, the war axe is, and the picture from the Instagram uh, screen cap, that that's the actual person we've been able to, uh, you, know, you can look at it and you can see who the person is. We'll talk about that uh, after we go off the air here today. Um, if that is the case, then whose fault is that? That's not, that's not the people who've said like, oh, look, they were pointing it out. Like if, you, if, if I am the Warax tweets out, Hey, uh, this is Jake Hughes by mistake, like switching between Twitter accounts or something like that. Is that Jake Hughes's fault or is that the people who notice it's fault? You've uncovered my identity. I must flee now. Yeah. Jake, Jake am the war axe. That's who am the war axe. <laughs> so, I mean, it's, it's, it's an interesting discussion to be had, to be certain. I understand the, uh, the desire for anonymity, but you know, if, if you mess that up and if this is the case now, the, the person who tweets as I am the war axe is saying, this is not who I am. There are other people saying, I know who it is and that's not who it is. I have my own personal uh, thoughts on it, on, on who it might be, uh, based on some people that I've interacted with before, um, that, that. I just I just have a, a suspicion, a sneaking suspicion, and in some other cases, a little bit more than just a suspicion. I think um, I also don't know if I am the war axe is necessarily one person. Oh, really? Yeah. Why not? Why couldn't couldn't you and I create a Twitter account where we both have access to it? We both have the password and get in there, and that would give plausible deniability to each of us. Where, oh, look, I, I was tweeting at the same time that I am the War Axe was tweeting. Right. You know, that kind of thing. The where, old Batman Bruce Wayne thing. Yeah, somebody just signed in. Uh, somebody else signed in. Do, is, does only one person have access to that account? I don't know. Because, again, anonymous. Anonymous. That's the thing. Now, of course, in I am the War Axe's Twitter bio, authorized to speak for all veterans. So, obviously, a little bit of humor there. DMs always open. All takes are completely serious and never, ever a joke. I will say this. Uh, I am the War Axe disparaged our own Phil Briggs a little bit this weekend. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Phil was uh, Phil was saying like, uh, you know, hey, I invited you to weigh in on this and you didn't want to. And I am the War Axe was like, I didn't want to be on your stupid little podcast or whatever it is that you do. It's like, oh, okay. So I, I didn't appreciate that. No, because our stupid much. little podcast is kind of... Important to us. Yeah, our stupid little podcast. And he's <laughs> the Warwick said, uh, your stupid little podcast or morning show or whatever you do. And I was like, hey, 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 I'm the one who does a stupid little morning show. You leave Phil out of that. Um, so, yeah, it's... Uh, yeah, don't connect us to <sighs> Phil Briggs. At all. Connect vets, <laughs> but don't connect us to Phil Briggs. <laughs> That's Bird Dog. He's doing his own thing over there, stomping on goose heads. Um, the... Yeah, it's it's just it's interesting and, and social media is an interesting thing, man, where you have people getting very upset, people also being very angry. I I don't do the angry Twitter thing like ever, like even when I was disagreeing with people. Somebody who I uh I disagreed with who was uh, apparently a veteran who works in DC someplace on the uh the Amvets thing, like was clearly getting pretty angry at me at first and then things uh, were able to settle down a little bit and then you realize like, oh, come on, man, there's no reason to be screaming about this. If I were here face to face with someone, if we were having a discussion about it, I wouldn't be screaming at them. I wouldn't be yelling at them. So I'm not going to do that on social media. I don't want to do the whole 
the keyboard warrior thing, yeah. you know? Those All caps, are, lots of exclamation marks. Yeah, you picture them like standing on their chair, pointing at the computer you screen. Like, I'm so mad. I'm gonna get you. I think it was Bill Burr who gave that description. <laughs> All caps, standing on your standing on your chair, pointing and screaming at the com- computer screen. Uh, I don't believe in that, and I don't, uh, you know, I don't really know where I stand on the whole. I am the Warraxes. <laughs> I don't. Uh, I just don't. Uh, I don't know, man. I really don't. It's it's fascinating. And there's uh, 19 hours ago. Oh, here's a new one. Long thread, an open letter to the... Thanks, Twitter tribe, for confirming I am not the war axe. I would like to ask everyone a favor. Can we all please table this discussion? Okay, so there's a... Uh, it's, it's interesting. It's interesting. And I'll talk to you about why I find it particularly interesting afterwards. But, I, you know, it's it's... It's a question that different people are going to have different answers to. Should you be tweeting anonymously about various things? Now, let's 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 flip this around and let's say, and it's happened a few times in the in the last uh, year or so, particularly where people were found to be tweeting out truly heinous things. You know, the guy who called me a white supremacist on right. Twitter. There are white supremacists out there, and some of them have their anonymous Twitter accounts that are totally separate because they're working normal jobs they're working normal jobs in the community and they don't want the people they work with to find out about what their beliefs are um that is okay to most people when those people get outed so i mean i listen i'm an equal opportunist to a fairly extreme degree if it's okay for i am the war axe to tweet anonymously it's okay for everybody to tweet it's, it's okay for everybody or it's okay for nobody you know, that's, that's kind of how I tend to view things like with the flag protest thing. That's well, what the op-ed was about. It's either OK for everybody to have an opinion or it's not OK for everybody to have an but opinion. But I do think and I've thought about this more. We've been talking, so I'm going to contradict myself from earlier in the show. Yeah, I think that. <laughs> yeah, I think that you should if you're speaking on a certain issue with an air of credibility, you should be able to be able to prove who you are. Like, yeah. you know, if I'm commenting heavily on veteran issues and criticizing the veteran community because I claim to be a veteran, I should be able to prove that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I certainly understand both arguments. I understand someone wanting to be able to put their viewpoint out there because in this, in this world that we live in now, if you put out an opinion that is uh, not particularly popular, you can be, um, you can be fired for it. You can be yep. released from your job. You can have all sorts of uh, nasty, negative things happen to you. Uh, and, you know, I think most people don't want that, of course, to happen. They don't want to lose their job over having an opinion on something. Uh, but that's that's kind of the world we live in now. It's been created. It's been, uh, you know, in some in some cases, ironically created by some of the very people that end up being fired, where they were, yep. you know, the the first people calling for someone else's head. I can think of, uh, oh man, there was a guy who was a a podcaster who was uh, very popular in certain uh, certain circles, and then he was accused of uh, I don't know exactly what he was accused of, not being a good husband or boyfriend or something like that, and essentially was just banished from said community. And he's gone on. I heard him on uh, various podcasts, like on Joe Rogan, saying, uh, I was the one calling for people's heads. And then a few months later, mine is the head. <laughs> you know, that's that's kind of the way that it goes. Uh, it's very interesting stuff. And again, this is a topic of conversation that uh, it may be dead for now. It may not. There are a lot of people who, uh, no matter what, are going to say, hey, I believe that this is who it is. I believe that to be the case. 
again, when it's anonymous, you have no idea. It could be, it could be a, a Russian bot. Could be the North Koreans. Yeah. <laughs> could be 50 people. Could be anything. I don't know. All I know, this is the morning briefing. Back after this. Helping military veterans stay connected. We make it easy. We're CBS Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting vets every day. Online and all over social media. Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. At Connecting Vets. Welcome back to the Morning Briefing. I'm your host, Eric Dame. That's Space Age Space Hog playing behind us. Jake Hughes is your producer, and ConnectingVets.com is your website. And we mean that. Created by veterans, for veterans, focusing on the veteran experience and the veteran community and everything that goes along with it. Basically, if you're not checking out ConnectingVets.com on a daily basis, you're kind of messing up and you're not living your best life as a veteran. Okay, that may be a slight exaggeration, but you should check it out. There's a lot of great content on there, and we're looking at things from all sides. And we just told you about the example. You know, this this whole AMVETS national anthem thing, I wrote an op-ed on it, and that got a little bit of play. And then another op-ed from another member of our team saying, hey, protesting is what being an American's all about. We are not a monolith as veterans. We're not a monolith here at ConnectingVets.com. We have various people with varying opinions on things, but each and every one of them is very, very closely tied to the veteran community, whether a veteran themselves, married to a veteran. And actually right now, I think that's the only two categories that we have, veterans, spouses, and veterans. So you don't get much more closely tied to the veteran community than that. Be sure to follow us on social media. We are at ConnectingVets on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. And Speaking of veterans, I want to welcome a fellow veteran here into the studio. Actually, welcome him back to the studio, Mr. Mark Rockefeller, founder of Street Shares. How are you doing today, Mark? Good morning, sir. How are you? Good to be here. I'm doing fantastic. Now, just because it's been, I don't know, five months or so, I think, since you were in here the first time, let's give uh, just a little brief background on yourself. So where are you from? What would you do in the military? And when did you get out? Yeah, yeah, perfect. Thank you. Yeah, I'm from Colorado. Uh, I was in the Air Force for nine years. Uh, primarily as a JAG officer, mm. uh, and then left, uh, moved to New York, uh, spent a couple of years at a Wall Street law firm, and then realized that <clears throat> I was uniquely qualified to sort of bridge the gap between the money on Wall Street and the veterans on Main Street. Yeah, uh, And so left and started a company with a great co-founder named Mickey Conson, uh, who was a senior executive at Capital One. And uh, the two of us started this company in my basement. It's called Street Shares. You can learn more at streetshares.com. Uh, and the idea was that there was this great trust that exists between veterans, extraordinary things that veterans will do for each other on a foreign battlefield. And could you harness that trust, right? Could you capture it in a way that made financial services better, right? And so it's a bit of a, you know, if you take the old, um, you know, the old uh, military credit unions, right? And you sort of merge them with, you know, Uber or, Airbnb type technology for sort of the new generation, that is what Street Shares is. So right. it's veterans lending to veterans, uh, focusing on the small business market. There's so many veterans that are starting businesses that are pursuing their American dream. Uh, and so we are the way that those folks find the funding that they need uh, to grow their business and live out their dreams. Investing in ourselves, really. Absolutely. You know, believing in your fellow veterans. Although there is, of course, that I think people would sometimes question 
whether they should, because as you mentioned, finances in the veteran community is not always our best asset, I would yeah, say. Yeah. I, I was shocked at, as someone who, uh, I went to a stock market summer camp one year for a sure, week and sure. had a, a little stock portfolio myself. I was shocked at how many people when I was in the military and how many veterans I know who know absolutely nothing about investment, know nothing mm. about finance. That can be a detracting factor when it comes to starting a business. Uh, it can be a detracting factor when it comes to investing for your personal future. How do you think we go about changing that and making veterans more financially knowledgeable, I suppose? Yeah, I think financial uh, uh, education, in particular sort of personal finance, <clears throat> is a challenge across the board in America, uh, especially right. among young people. Oh, yeah. right? It's just, it, it's, it's, it's complicated, and it's hard, and it can be, frankly, very boring, right? And right. so it's something that you know, from the school system on up through the universities, it's just not something that we as a, a society do a great job of doing. In the veteran space in particular, though, you know, there's always kind of a veteran's angle on something. There's a veteran's discount. There's a vet, you know. Oh, yeah. Um, um, uh, the I, Home Depot, for example, is like 10% or something like absolutely, that. Absolutely. It's pretty significant. Absolutely. So I call it the VA loan effect, right? Mm -hmm. When all of us are looking for a mortgage, right? Yep. You know, we're looking for that, for, that, for that VA mortgage, right? It's a better deal for us, and we should absolutely take advantage of that. Uh, and so veterans are kind of looking for that angle, right? What, what's the what's the financial services or the insurance, uh, you know, sort of sort of angle for veterans? And no one was doing that in the small business funding space, hmm. despite the fact that that an entire generation of veterans were leaving the service, trying to start their own business, and they were doing so in the wake of the financial crisis, right? right. I came back from Iraq in the summer of two thousand eight, right? Right. So Bear Stearns, yes, exactly. Bear yeah. Stearns had just collapsed. Lehman Brothers was about to. <clears throat> the crisis was just kicking off, right? I'm representative of our generation of veterans trying to leave the service and start a business, but we have this barrier, this unique barrier, generational barrier, erected in our way in the form of the crisis, and no one was doing anything about that. And so we at Street Shares were were created to, to, to solve that problem. Now, over time, at least as far as I'm aware, Street Shares has continued to evolve. What Street yes. Shares began as is not what it is today. Tell us a little bit about that process where I think that's something that can be beneficial to veterans who are looking to start their own business or anything else where you may have, hey, this is my plan. This is the road ahead. Sometimes things uh, you have to adjust, adapt, and overcome. So tell us about that process with, with Street Shares. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you have a business idea that you think is going to work. <clears throat> But you don't actually know until you hit the marketplace, right. right? And you've got to get that feedback from your customers, from the veteran community. What do they actually want? What is actually working? So the original version of Street Shares <clears throat> was funding veteran-owned businesses. <clears throat> Pardon me. That's but on the other side of that, the investors were actually individual veterans who were bidding to fund that loan. So, you know, if I want a small business loan, I would say, here's my business, and I would pitch it. And then you and a whole bunch of others would come in and you would say, yeah, I'll, I'll put 25 bucks on that. I'll put 50 bucks on that. Yeah. And then and then you would set the rate, right? I would lend to Mark at, you know, 12% or 10% or 8% or 6 yeah. right? And we would combine all the lowest bids into a single loan. So it was a, um, a product feature that was designed to bring down, draw down the cost to borrow for that veteran. Right. Over time, we realized that actually the time-consuming element of that of pitching and bidding, et cetera, wasn't that interesting to people, right? Mm -hmm. Folks wanted something that was much more of a simple push button type thing. And so that's what we've done now. So our lead product now for the veterans community is something called a veteran business bond. Mm. And there is nothing like it in America. It is awesome. 
It is the world's, I believe, I think, the world's first social impact investment for the veterans community. Wow. So you invest your money. Um, you can you can pull it out uh, uh, really at, at, at uh, um, any point that you want. It behaves a bit like a like a like a CD, right? right. Though we're not a bank, it's not FDIC insured. Very important to say that. Um, but but its behavior is a bit like that. Um, you get five percent, a flat five percent. We then take that money and pool it, and then invest in in veteran-owned businesses. And right. so that way, it's sort of an automatic diversification and automatic pooling, and you don't have to go through and pick which businesses you like and don't like, we just pull it for you and then get you that 5%. And people love it. Yeah. Right? It's so hard to find investments where you can put your money to work, but there's also a social impact from yeah. it, you know? And, and, and especially millennials are very, very concerned and interested in making their money matter. Yeah. Right? Putting it to work where it's going to have an impact. We are the vehicle to provide social impact in the veterans community. Uh, and it's been very, very popular. I think young people also have... Uh, have been taken advantage of by that hashtag activism. Like, yeah, well, if I just yeah. give money, this think of uh, what was it, Coney, Coney 2012, where uh, the Joseph Coney thing taking place in Africa, where you find out later on, like, we don't even know if this guy's still alive. So, right. is there something still to fight? But people were giving money hand over fist. Whereas veterans who are, are struggling to get by and have a good business idea, have something out there. Uh, they're looking for a way to uh, essentially, as you said, fund what they're doing and uh, you know, to, to kind of be able to crowdfund it in a way. I mean, do you guys like that term when you talk about uh, street shares, crowdfunding? I know with all those different companies that are out there, Indiegogo and all the different things right, that you right. can do, you guys are a little bit different <clears throat> than that, obviously. And, and with the, 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 the system that you just described to us, clearly significantly different. But is this... In, in a way, crowdfunding the the veteran entrepreneurs out there? I think conceptually it is. I personally don't prefer that term, right? Yeah. I don't I don't I don't use the term crowdfunding because what we're doing is more lending to established businesses that we know are going to be okay, right? Yeah, um, I think the term crowdfunding is um, you know that there's investment crowdfunding, which has been in the news a lot. They're trying to figure out a way regulatorily to make that work. Right. There's the Indiegogos and the GoFundMes of the world, which tend to be more, um, you know, you know, just a gift. You know, you're giving your money. In exchange, you might get a T-shirt or a thank you or card or something bag. like that. It's kind of Ex like the whole exactly. NPR model. No, exactly right. Exactly right. I mean, this is, you know, this, this is actual real finance, right? Yeah. Uh, and we are, you know, we, you know we've got 45,000 members. We are raising amounts of money like this. That would be very enviable to any any crowdfunder. Yeah. Um, you know, but I think conceptually, if folks like to think of the idea of veterans coming together and funding a fellow veteran's business, that's exactly what it is. Uh, but you know, we we tend to not 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 use the word crowdfunding. We actually use a term called social lending. Yeah. Right. Social lending, and that sort of captures what I think is the essence of this, which is sort of the magic behind street shares, which is this: <clears throat> Can you capture the social trust that exists between veterans and use that? For the borrowers to get lower rates and for the investors to get higher or more certain returns, mm. right? So the theory is that if I'm a veteran business owner and I borrow money and I know that money is coming from my fellow veterans as opposed to some, you know, distant monolithic bank on Wall Street. Yeah, or some some shadowy investor that you don't know who it exactly. is and it turns out it's someone you don't like and exactly. someone who believes something that you're not, uh, you don't align with, you know? I mean, if, you're, if your loan is coming from your fellow veterans, <clears throat> I am betting on the fact that that borrower, that veteran entrepreneur, will feel an enhanced sense of obligation to pay that back, right? Right. He is not going to want to let down his fellow veterans. 
and therefore he will pay it back. And if I can do that, if I can sort of de-risk that loan a little bit, then I can charge lower rates, right? And so that is the magic, right? The magic is veterans have this incredible trust. They'll do extraordinary things for each other on a foreign battlefield. Can we use technology and capture that and give lower interest loans to veterans and more certain returns to veteran investors. That mm. is the magic of street shares. Yeah. And street shares is what we're talking right now with Mark Rockefeller, co-founder of Street Fairs and Air Force Veteran. Air Force Veteran. And yeah. talking about what street shares is and what they're doing. And again, it's interesting to me that that even with such a great idea that you guys had to begin with, that you found that you needed to adapt and you needed yep. to adjust. That's something that's difficult, I think, for a lot of veterans because coming out of the military where it's like, all right, this is the plan. Yeah, we'll adapt and overcome, but we're going to stick to the plan. We're going to get to this end goal. Did you have any difficulty personally with that, with your original idea not being exactly what you envisioned it being and having to change your 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 angle of attack, basically? Yeah, I think it, it it was, it was actually the, the exact opposite, which is, <clears throat> as a veteran, you know how to adapt and overcome, mm -hmm. right? Um, you know, as I say, you know, there, there's there, there's plans, but nothing survives the first contact, right? Yeah. Um, that's what this is, right? This is entrepreneurial contact, right? Not with the enemy, with, but 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 with the market, right? Yeah. So you've got a plan, you've got a great team, you've got a strategy, uh, but you have to listen to what your members want, right? You know, we have forty five thousand members that are. Uh, we, we we just roll out the red carpet for them, right? You know, if right. you're a, you know if you're a veteran, um, you know it is absolute red carpet treatment at Street Shares. And it took us a little while. You know, it's been three and a half years now. It took us a little while to understand what they actually wanted. Um, you know, get that feedback, modify our model to their feedback. And so I think actually being veterans is what helped us make those pivots and changes and sort of be responsive. Yeah. Because one, being veterans helped us care tremendously about what our veteran customers wanted, yeah. right? We weren't going to come in and sort of impose on them what we thought they would want, right? Um, and two, being veterans gave us sort of the framework for how to adapt and overcome and be flexible. And so actually, I think being veterans helped us sort of deal with some of the changing and the rigors of entrepreneurship ourselves. One of the recent announcements that you guys made was for the uh, as as and I'm I'm looking at my phone to get the right terminology yeah, yeah. because again I'm fairly uh, fairly I guess financially literate but you announced the B round yes. of funding so what does that exactly mean for street shares and what does it mean for the veterans involved in it either as either people being invested in or those doing the investing. Yeah, so a B round is typically your second or your third equity funding round, right? So if you start a business and that business isn't going to be profitable for a little while, therefore you don't have the cash flows to keep operating your business, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, you'll typically raise equity, right? This is what the big tech companies do, right? Because they've got to raise a lot more money than they're pulling in right now in in profit, right? Uh, and so you know, if you've got a business and you want to grow it, either you know you need money from 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 somewhere. So either you borrow it, it's a loan, or you sell a part of your company. That's called equity, right? And so the big tech companies raise money through these, these equity raises. And, and you'll typically have one when you're very, very young <clears throat> called a Series Seed, and then a Series A, and then a Series B. And so this is our Series B. Um, I believe the number is somewhere between 3 and 6% of all startups make it to this phase. So we're wow. doing pretty well. Yeah. We're, we're doing pretty well. And this was announced last week. It was a $23 million uh, Series B uh, by a great funding partner. Um, um, investors here in the D.C. area called Rotunda Capital Partners, uh, great partners of ours. Uh, they believe in our mission. They they believe in the veterans community. Uh, and so this gives us a lot of runway to just grow 
Right. Uh, you know, we have found that we have what's called product market fit in the business world, meaning we have a product and the market likes it. And now it's just a matter of scaling it, right? Yeah. And so now you just put the, you know, put the pedal on the gas pedal, put, 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 put the foot on the gas pedal and just grow. Uh, you know, we've got 45,000 members at streetshares.com. Uh, you know, I, I, I want to sprint toward our first million members. Wow. Uh, and so this is where veterans are connecting on their phone, lending to each other, investing through veteran business bonds, and it's all happening on streetshares.com. That's fantastic, really, to hear that there's uh, been so much growth for your company and why that's fantastic. Listen, I'm not invested in Mark Rockefeller personally. It's great right. that you succeed, but the fact that your company helps so many others succeed, that's the truly great part of it. And we're talking with Mark Rockefeller, co-founder of Street Shares, Air Force veteran. You know, when you talk about that, when you talk about funding and you talk about people uh, you know, getting to that point and scaling, yeah. that's an important word. And I think that's one thing that... A lot of businesses, and this isn't just veterans, businesses in general don't think about. Krispy Kreme comes to mind for me, where it went from this small little thing to a Krispy Kreme on every corner to back to a small little thing, because mm -hmm. they kind of expanded a little bit too fast. How do you learn how to do that, and how do, you know, for those veterans out there looking to start a business, how do they know when it's too much too soon? How yeah. do they know when they're they're properly moving and growing at the right rate? Is there a formula to figure that out or is it just kind of, you know, figure it out as you go? Yeah, there's there's <clears throat> different kinds of businesses, right? Some folks want to scale them massively uh, and have a large national or even even international presence. Um, you know, others are small and that's just fine, right? Yeah. You know, it, it, it sort of fits the needs or the goals of the proprietor, of the owner. Um, uh, in our case, we believe that <clears throat> great companies solve great problems, right? Great yeah. companies solve great problems. There's a big problem that we're trying to solve, right? And that requires greatness and scale on our part, right? Um, our problem that we're trying to solve is you've got a generation of veteran entrepreneurs that don't have access to the capital they need, mm. right? Folks leaving the military and becoming business owners is a rich legacy history here in America, right? Going back to World War II, after World War II, 49% um, of that generation went on to own or operate a business. Mm. That's a huge number, right? Almost oh, half, yeah. huge number, right? And frankly, it was veteran entrepreneurs after World War II that sort of catalyzed or led to the golden, you know, economic boom after World War II through the 50s and 60s and so forth. And <clears throat> our generation wants to do the exact same thing as our grandparents did after World War II. Right. But again, we have this unique you know, once in a, in a century, you know, barrier that was erected in the form of the financial crisis, right? right? You know, so we come back, we want to leave, we want to start a business. Banks aren't lending, right? To any small businesses, right? Let alone veterans. Yeah. Um, I was on Wall Street, one of the, one of the great, great, great sort of motivators here. Um, <clears throat> uh, I was in Silicon Valley and we were sort of sharing the, the street shares idea, raising some money for it. And I had an investor tell me, and this is, I, um, he's lucky that I was an Air Force guy because I didn't punch him, right? <laughs> uh, you know, uh, our, our, you know, Army listeners and Marine Corps listeners would have decked this guy, right? He said, okay, wait a minute, you're raising money for a business to fund veteran-owned companies. And I said, absolutely. And he said, but given PTSD and all these other things, low education, aren't they a riskier bet? Yeah. That's, that's. I, I was, I was, I, I mean, I was shocked. I was shocked. I wish at I the, was. <laughs> right, right, right. That, you know? but, but at the arrogance, yeah. at the ignorance, right, that he would come out and say that, I could not believe it, right? Yeah. So I got up, walked out of his office, right? Those kind of moments 
they put a fire in your belly and you're like, I'm going to, I'm going to prove this guy wrong. Right. Watch this, right. Watch what this generation of veterans is going to do. Right. Our generation of veterans, you know, call it the millennial Gen X, you know, Iraq, Afghanistan, post 9-11 generation of veterans. Right. This is the most diverse, Mm -hmm. right. Ethnically diverse, uh, more women, uh, more immigrants, right. The most diverse, the most technologically savvy, Mm -hmm. right the most sort of sophisticated when it comes to, you know, you know, we were in a long protracted war where friend and foe was sometimes very hard to tell, yep. right? That requires a real sophistication to, to, to navigate all of that, right? Uh, and the most entrepreneurial generation of veterans we've ever had, yeah. right? That generation of veterans is a national treasure, right? Yeah. As a resource in terms of what we all went through and what that forged in us, I would unleash that generation of veterans to do anything, mm-hmm. right? Um, not to mention starting a business, right? And so this arrogant prick in Silicon Valley, I was like, I was like, you, you watch, right? Watch what this generation is going to do, right? Yeah. Um, and so that puts a little fire in the belly for street chairs, right? And we're pulling our money again from our fellow veterans, uh, and you know, our borrowers that that are taking loans from us are doing awesome, absolutely awesome, right? Yeah. And they're paying back their loans, therefore we pay back. You know our 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 investors in veteran business bonds, um, and everyone's everyone's thriving, right? Right. Because we're capturing that trust that exists between veterans, and we're and we're just using it to make financial services better. Talking with Mark Rockefeller, founder of Street Shares, Air Force veteran, and you talked about how you got out during the financial crisis. Yeah. We're ten years past that now, and boy, is the economy booming right yes. now. Is this the right time for people who have like, you know, I've got this business idea. I mean, I've got my job down at the uh, I don't know, cupcake factory or yep. wherever, but that's not what I really want to do. I want this job. I want this to be my career, this business idea that I have. Do you think now is the right time with the economy going the way it is? Or does it make it more feasible for people to to look at those things and try to see if it's uh, if it's doable? <clears throat> yes, I think now is always the right time, but you've got to do so smartly, right? You must do so smartly. What I mean by that is ease your way into it, right? If you have a good, secure job and you've got a business idea, don't just leave your job and start that idea, right? Um, begin it as a side as a side hustle, mm. you know, weekends, nights, et cetera. My co-founder and I, um, when we met and had the original idea for Street Shares, we both had some other jobs, of course, right? And, you know, it, it began slowly, you know? It began as, you know, you know meeting for lunch, kicking the idea around, weekends, evenings, et cetera, right? And then you reach a tipping point where you say, all right, now is the time to leave the, the, the security and safety net of my current job and full-time start this new venture. But you, you want to test your idea first, right? Yeah. There's, a, there's a lot of people that, frankly, leave their job, dive into it, and it doesn't work out because they hadn't vetted their idea through the marketplace well enough, right? right? right. What we think the market wants and what the market actually wants are very often two different things. So you've got to listen. And that requires, you know, try something, run it by 100 people, get their feedback, tweak it a little bit, try it again, run it by 100 people. That process takes some time. Right. And it's often best done from the security of your existing job as a bit of a side hustle until you hit that critical mass. So, um, yes, now is a great time to do it. Um, but there's a right way to do it so that you can sort of mitigate that risk a little bit. And, and and to make sure that you're successful. 
And those people who are out there looking for possible funding or those people looking to maybe fund or help fund their fellow veterans, they can do so at Street Shares, as we've been hearing from Mark Rockefeller. Mark, we've just got about a minute and a half left in the show. So if people are interested in finding out more about Street Shares, if they're interested in signing up and getting started on it, where do they go and how do they go about doing that? Every veteran in America and everyone who, who supports veterans in America should go to StreetShares.com, right? There is something for them there. If you are a veteran small business owner, we have loans and funding for you. If you're a government contractor, Eric, we haven't talked about this, uh, a ton of veterans get into government contracting because oh, they've yeah. got the clearances, they've got the expertise, right? An easy transition. Absolutely. Yeah. We have very specialized products just for those veteran government contractors. Uh, it is red carpet treatment. And then anyone in America who wants to to, to support veterans can go to streetshares.com, buy, buy a veteran business bond. Uh, you get your 5%. And your money is going toward a population that you care about. Uh, it 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 feels really good, frankly, right? To invest in something, get a solid return, and also know that 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 money is going to support your fellow veteran entrepreneurs. Which I think is something that many people in the veteran community can get behind. And again, as the economy does well, there are people looking to spend money. There are people looking to make money. There's really a variety of ways that you can do so. Street shares certainly sounds like one of the better ways that you might be able to help out your fellow vets and help out yourself. And if you're a business entrepreneurial type, it's something that you might want to look into as well. We want to thank Mark Rockefeller, co-founder of Street Shares, Air Force veteran, for joining us here on The Morning Briefing. Also, of course, want to thank our producer, JQs, and you, the listeners. Be sure to check out ConnectingVets.com. We've got a new website. It's looking good. It's doing good. And if you follow us on social media, you'll be kept up to date on what's on it at Connecting Vets. Click it, tap it, do it. Take care. Have a great day. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening.